Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. For Christians everywhere, the Advent and Christmas seasons that are just beginning now is a sacred time, an opportunity to know and love God more fully and deeply through the gift of the child in the manger, who is Jesus Christ. But the noise of the world celebration can often overwhelm the wonder of the silent holy night, so much so that we risk losing Christmas altogether. So the question becomes, in the midst of all of this, how do we reclaim Christmas? That's what we'll be asking in a series of messages throughout these weeks of Advent. And today, we begin with how we can reclaim the scandal that is Christmas. It's based on Isaiah chapter 64, verses 1 through 9, and it starts with some thoughts on the celebration that is already begun. Well, let me just say this up front. As one of those strange people for whom the holiday season cannot properly begin without dogs barking jingle bells, without grandmas getting run over by random reindeer, without Kevin McAllister getting left home alone, and without the Grinch plotting to steal Christmas yet again, I have to confess to getting just a little bit excited when I turned on the TV one night after, just after Halloween, and what do my wondering eyes should appear was that commercial for Hershey Kisses ringing out, we wish you a Merry Christmas. And I was heard to exclaim, to no one in particular, ere the ad went out of sight, it's official, Christmas time is here. Now, was this happening a tad early? Perhaps. But given the fact that I've been listening to Christmas music, both sacred and secular, for a while now, all in the name of worship planning, mind you, I suppose I don't really have much to say about it. But I've never been one to complain about rushing the season a little bit, especially in times such as these. I think at its best, Christmas welcome, uh, offers us a welcome respite when so much of the world around us just seems so incredibly off-kilter. It's just important, I think, that each one of us as Christians not let all this pre-holiday hoopla overwhelm the true meaning of Christmas and us along with it. So all that just to tell you, I say bring it on. I'm ready for it. But that having been said, I do have to admit that there is something that concerns me here both pastorally and personally. It's that in this grand build-up to the holiday season, ultimately, it ultimately all kind of misses the point. And maybe not for the reason you may be thinking. You see, everything we're talking about here, all this stuff I've been saying, what we're seeing in the stores, on the radio, on television, with the decorations that are going up all over, it all has to do with festivity, right? Specifically, getting us ready for the big day to come. Putting us in the mood to celebrate. All around us right now, to quote the late, great Gene Shepherd, the world is preparing its yearly bacchanalia 
of peace on earth and goodwill to men. We're wrapping ourselves up in tinsel and and merry yuletide sentiment that will only grow in intensity and and won't let up until December 26. But you see, along the way, there's something that very easily and carefully gets avoided, maybe even pushed aside, in and through the overabundance of slick and oft-times artificial holiday cheer What's going to be missing from it all is the scandal of it. The scandal that is Christmas. Now, I should clarify that. Because lest you think I'm becoming cynical about this manner of festivity. Like I said before, I like the festivity. It's all about the the unspeakable joy that comes in the gift of a child born in a manger. It's about no less than God being born into the world and into our hearts. So yes, Christmas and the days leading up to Christmas is a time and cause for celebration. And it's central to our Christian faith. But, in the words of C.S. Lewis, our Christian faith does not begin with joy, but rather it begins in despair. And it is no good trying to reach the joy without first going through the despair. The scandal that is Christmas arises out of despair. And if we can't get a handle on the despair of it all, then it's unlikely that we will ever get the full and magnificent impact of what it is we're celebrating. It's important for us to realize that Christmas, and for that matter, Christianity, doesn't begin in the manger per se. Christmas begins with a lament of a desperate people standing in the rubble of their lost a people whose temple has been destroyed, their city lying in ruins, their, their lives as they had known it for years and years, generation after generation, suddenly and seemingly irretrievably gone forever. And they're all crying out in utter and unrestrained anguish to their God, this same God who they turn from again and again. And they cry out, Oh, that you would just rip open the heavens and descend. Oh, that you would make the mountains shudder at your presence. And the thing is, it gets worse from there. As a matter of fact, I was thinking again as Kay was reading that passage, you'd really have to go a long way in Holy Scripture to find a more deeply distressing passage than the one we shared this morning. Our text today from the book of Isaiah is quite literally a litany of sadness, a lamentation. And it's made all the sadder because it's based in reality. Not only the reality of Jewish exiles returning home after years of living in exile in Babylon, but also I would say to you, it's based in the reality of any one of us who has ever felt as though life was completely over, like all hope is gone, like somehow 
in everything that has happened, God has been completely left out of the proceedings. What we have here, you see, are the cries of a people who feel so beaten down that they don't have anything left. No tears left to cry, and yet they're crying out all the more. Not only in, in that lamentation for where they've been, but out of this profound understanding that what they needed all along, and most importantly, about what it was, who it was, who could give it to them. We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. Yet, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are our potter. We are all the work of your hands. And then they add this. So do not be exceedingly angry, O oh Lord. Consider, consider that we are all your people. Now, even as I read that again this morning, I realize that that is probably one of the least Christmassy passage of Scripture you are going to hear this year. I seriously doubt you're ever going to hear those particular verses set to music and played on all Christmas radio. Right after Mariah Carey. Our, your, our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. Merry Christmas. But you know what? That particular text, what I just shared with you there, it cuts right to the heart of the scandal that's Christmas. Because it speaks to the need, both yours and mine, for a Savior. And we need a Savior because the hard and indisputable fact of the matter is that as persons and that as a people, we are mired in sin. It occurs to me, you know, that over the past few weeks, uh, we've actually talked a fair amount here about sin. And you might recall that, that in those messages, we define sin as any and all behaviors and attitude that would separate us from God. Well, let me add to that just a little bit. Let me put this another way. Sin can also be described as our all-too-human tendency to, shall we say, keep God at a distance, to keep God at arm's length, <coughs> consciously acting, working independently and in opposition to God in and through our very lives. There's an author by the name of J. Ellsworth Callis who actually describes this idea of sin very, very well. He says that, when we live below our potential, when we are mediocre when we ought to be fine, when we are cheap when we ought to be noble, when we are shoddy when we ought to really be upright, when we are anything less than godly, that is sin. It is a matter of our own human nature. And the bottom line is that none of us, not a single one of us, can find a way to redeem ourselves before God. Not a one of us can find a way to dig ourselves out of the pit that we have put ourselves in. All we can do, all we really can do, is cry out to God. Cry out for God to please somehow 
come to us to cast out our sin and enter in, to be born in us today. What we need is a Savior who is the Christ of Christmas. So do you begin to get a sense of the scandal of it? To quote J. Ellsworth Collis again, this is why we need Christmas. Christmas didn't come to our human race because we worked ourselves up to it. It didn't happen because we evolved to a state of deserving such a favor, such a celebration. Christmas came to us because we are a scandalous lot. Christmas is indeed a gift an ultimate gift, a gift that is undeserved and a gift that is unjustified. You see, that's what we don't get sometimes. That's what they don't understand in the stores or out at the mall. It's a truth, quite frankly, you rarely hear in most of the songs of the season as, as fun and as beautiful as they truly are. In the Christ of Christmas, we find that that which we can never attain on our own, the release from the despair that comes from sin, the truth that despite our natural human tendency to head out in any and every direction we can think of, that we have been given this clear pathway in life, uh, a way of living that leads to liberation from our fear. It is truly amazing grace, and by that grace and an in infinite love, you and I are given true, unending, and ultimately scandalous hope amidst the seeming hopelessness of the world. And it comes to us not in, in, in mere proclamation, not in mere prophecy, but in the fulfillment of that prophecy in the person of Jesus the Christ, our Emmanuel, a, a tiny baby born in a manger. And, and so, while it's okay and good, in fact, that the world around us has already jumped on the merry-go-round that is the Yuletide celebration, it's better, I think, that you and I take a few moments here to, to pause, to watch, to wait for his coming, to, to be Advent people first. So then we can properly and joyously celebrate Christmas when it does come, to welcome Christ when he comes, and to do it as we should. Now, does that mean we should hold back on decorating the church until a more appropriate time? Nah. Or that we should refrain from singing Christmas songs and carols until the 24th of December? Some churches and pastors do that. Not this one, I assure you, but some do. Or that maybe we should simply give up on all the other stuff of the season. You know, that is anything and everything that even remotely smacks of celebration. Should we be choosing instead to take on a discipline of spiritual reproach in our worship? Abandon any and all joy in these coming weeks? I mean, after all, Advent has been often referred to throughout church history as being a little Lent. And a bit of silent prayer and fasting might well be in order. Well, to all this, I just have to say, no, I, I don't think so. Because the fact is, 
Advent is not only anticipating a holy day. Advent is anticipating something more. Advent, you see, is a two-part observance. We are preparing our hearts not only for something that's already happened, the birth of Jesus Christ in the manger of Bethlehem, but we're also awaiting Christ's promised return. Advent in and of itself is a celebration then of promises fulfilled and of more promises made. And in both of these things, we do rejoice. And that said, there's ample room for celebration, but there's also ample room for the spirit of penitence in the season. William Willimon, in an article in the Christian Century, has written that all of this is why purple, the color of penitence, adorns our altar and the neck of your preacher. We dare not, Willimon says, we dare not rush to greet the Redeemer prematurely until we pause here in a darkened church to admit that we need that redemption. Nothing within us can save us. There is no thing that can save us. We tried that before, and it doesn't work. Our hope must be in someone out there who comes to us. We find our way only because one comes, takes our hand, and leads us home. It would do us good, friends, if in amidst everything else that's going on about now, you and I would spend some time during this scandalous season waiting and watching prayerfully for the one who is just about to come soon and very soon. This child who will be born among us. To quote Willimon one more time, if we are to see the fragile light that dawns among us in Christ, we need to sit a while in the darkness. If we are to hear the songs of the angels, first we must be silent. Even as all the chaos in this world around us escalates to a fever pitch over the next few weeks, you and I would do well to give thanks and prayer for the mercy of God that comes to us when we've done everything in our power to move away from him to prepare our hearts for the way that God comes to us in the guise of a child. This child that has saved us all from Satan's power when we have gone astray. The same Savior who will come again to us in power and in glory. You know, I think my favorite verse in that text we shared this morning is one that offers us the most from ages past, it reads, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait on him. It's the sure and certain promise of hope. Not fleeting hope. Not hope that dissipates with the next thing that hits us along the way, but hope unending, scandalous hope that is ours to claim here and now. And so rejoice, rejoice 
Emmanuel has come to thee, O Israel. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come to you and to you and to you and to me. Let us embrace that sure and certain hope as we make this journey together to the manger. And as we do, may our thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, Reclaiming the Scandal, part of our Advent sermon series that we're calling Reclaiming Christmas. It was recorded during our November the 27th service of worship at East Congregational Church in Concord, New Hampshire, where we do invite you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, just off exit 16 of I-93 in Concord. As the holiday season now begins in earnest, I would love to welcome you to our church, and I know you'll be glad you came. And that's it for this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. Thanks for listening today. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.